Welcome to the Dead Format. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by Grand Prix Richmond competitor Tom Smiley, and we're here to talk about Legacy. Yeah, I drove a very long time to play a very little amount of Legacy, but I had a blast and I saw a bunch of great people, and I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, I'm so jealous with this tournament going on this weekend. I really wish I could have been there. It sounds like you had a lot of fun, so yeah, I'd like to hear all about it. Yeah, so it was a combination family trip Grand Prix. My father-in-law lives in Richmond, so on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we packed up the baby in the car, and my wife and I drove down to Richmond. He slept through the night. We got there around 4 in the morning unpacked i got a few hours of sleep and went to the venue to play in the grinder Jeez. oh man i really wish that i had planned the travel and the sleep better <laughs> i knew that i was really going to be burnt out on thursday playing in the grinder but my focus never really sort of recovered and i definitely felt it on friday when i was playing in the main event too yeah a lot of times that happens to me too where the day after you don't sleep you're fine and it catches up to you at the day after that. Yep, and that's, that's exactly what happened to me. But I felt like we really hit the nail on the head with our deck choice, or my deck choice. Unbeknownst to me, Owen Turtenwald was running the exact same deck that I chose to play, two cards different from the build that I brought. If you take a look at the list that got published from the grinder that I won, that was not the deck that I registered. Somehow, in between playtesting, packing, and getting down there, there were a few cards that were actually missing from my deck box, and when I got to the venue, I had to register some different cards because I couldn't find my disenchants. Oh, brutal. Yeah, if you, if you take a look at the list that did get published, that is not the list to run. <laughs> I'll walk through the lists that I did run and some of the experiments that I tried in the grinder, but um, but don't take a look at that list. It's garbage. So did you end up running like two back to basics like we talked about? or? So in the grinder, I ran one. In the actual main event, I ran two. Yep. Cool. That's what I thought looking at this list. but. Yep. So I registered for the first grinder that was available when I got there. I think I played in the one o'clock one. Mm -hmm. And there was an odd amount of people for four rounds of Swiss. There was 10 people. 10 people? Only 10 people in the grinder that I played Holy in. Holy shit. In the one in Seattle we played in were like 40. Yeah, they fired grinders every half an hour wow. on the dot. And it seemed like they were all between 10 and 20 people. They were all very small, except maybe the first few. When I was there, they were all just barely firing. Wow. Having 10 people means that there is a winner's buy pretty much every round through the finals, which was kind of weird. Yeah, I'd think so. So I ended up playing against Death and Taxes in the first round and ended up beating Death and Taxes. I played against Mono Red Prison in the second round. And was really missing the disenchants. Yeah, I knew I that my opponent was on mono red when I sat down because after I finished my first round match, I just sort of walked down the tables and I was like, "Man, I really wish I had those disenchants in my box right now." But I was able to take that one down 2-0 as well. There were a lot of basics in the deck, 
and Blood Moon doesn't really affect it. Your threats scale up on Chalice fairly well. It shuts off a ton of your cantrips, but you can still win the game under a Chalice. And I, I felt like the Mono Red matchup was pretty good. Yeah, probably. In my third round, I got the buy, which is why I said there was a sort of odd number of people for the grinder. So after I won my first two rounds, I got a buy into the finals. It's pretty sweet. I played against Dredge in the finals, a really nice guy named Felix from Montreal. I had the Leaving a Legacy play mat, and he said how much he liked the cast. I saw him in the group, and uh, we played three really good games. The first one, he crushed me because it's Dredge. Yeah. And I didn't have any sideboard hate, and I ended up finding my cage in games two and three and was able to protect it. So went 4-0, asterisk, with, with the buy, and got my buys for the next day. Well, that was efficient. Just one grinder? One grinder, two buys. It The deck felt good. I had some backup plans going down because I wasn't 100% sure about the deck. And the trial killed my fears. I was actually going to play Eldrazi as my backup plan. Oh, man. Because I knew that my sleep and focus situation wasn't really where it needed to be. And I felt like if in the grinder I really wasn't able to put everything together, I was just going to play Eldrazi. Okay, that makes sense. Because uh, I actually saw you on, I don't know what day that was. You stopped by here. It was like uh, maybe Monday or Tuesday. And you had told me you were going to bring Infect with you too. Did you end up doing that? I brought Death and Taxes, Infect, Eldrazi, Miracles, and Blue-White Stoneblade. Nice. Or at least the cards to be able to build them. Uh, and that, I just wanted to not get stuck while I was down there. Yeah. Like if for some reason I really wasn't feeling the blue-white deck, I wanted to be able to have options to switch into. Yeah, for sure. All right. So got my buys, get home, go to sleep, try to make sure that I'm focused for the next day. But my son is with me. He's 15 months old, trying to sleep in a new place. And he didn't really go down that well, and he was up super early. So I woke up probably around 5.45 with Sweet. my son, got him up, got him ready, took a shower, and got ready to go to the event. I think I took a little nap before I actually went over there, but my wife came, brought the baby, and we went to the Grand Prix that morning. So what time? You had two buys, so it's probably like 11 or something. Yeah, I think we got there around 10.30. I always like to make sure that I get to the Grand Prix significantly earlier than I need to be. I think yeah. they were still in round two. But yeah, there was a little bit of time that I had a little bit of rest before, before we're getting there. Sweet. Yes, so starting the Grand Prix in round three. And I played against a Grixis control deck and just got crushed. One of the things that I knew was going to be a problem was Baleful Strix, Colgan's Command decks. Really, you don't have a high enough land count to really be able to play that Bounce Batter Skull long game against Grixis control. Yep. And Delver's getting removed 
and you having to rely on your equipment isn't really a reliable game plan against that deck. Your best bet is to stick an early true name nemesis, and that didn't happen in either of the two games. I was tight on land, not really able to keep up with the value plan of the Grixis control deck, and I think that there's some more sideboard stuff that the deck has to do to be able to sort of slog through that matchup. Yeah, I don't think that it's a, a great matchup or anything. One card that I've found, uh, I've only played two leagues with this uh, blue-white deck online this week, but one card that I really liked was Spell Snare that we kind of talked about, and I don't know if you ended up incorporating that, but just for like these Strix decks, it's not like really like a sideboard card, I don't think, but just like in the main deck, it does help a little. Yeah, in the trial, I used a Mana Leak okay. in that sort of flex spot. In the main event, I decided to just have that Mana Leak be a fourth Spell Pierce. Oh, you went with four Pierces. Yeah, I, I played four Pierces. I could definitely see running a three Pierce, one Snare split, but that's not what I did for the Grand Prix. Okay. I really wanted something else out of the sideboard. Really, I wanted a White Planeswalker. And in the trial, I had a Gideon, and I did not run that in the main event, and I really wish that I had. Yeah, I didn't realize you took that out. All right, so disappointing that I lost the first round that I actually played, but it's a long day, and I'm 2-1, and one, still in a really good spot to move on. In my round four match, I get the pairing from top decked, and I, I recognize the name, but I couldn't really remember where from. I couldn't remember if this was like, a very high-level pro, or just somebody from the Leaving a Legacy group. <laughs> and uh, I quickly googled the person's name, and I was playing against Louis Del Tor, and he's one of those higher-level pros. I don't know what country he's from, but he's not American, and he's on the Hararuya team. When I sat down, he was kind of tilting already. I guess he had his buys and was coming to the event and got stuck in traffic and took his round three loss because he wasn't at the event center. Oh, yeah. So this is somebody who, who I'm not sure needed pro points to move up a level, but was very disappointed that that happened. And we started to play our games, and he was on Black Blue Shadow. Swords to Plowshares and Snapcaster Mage are pretty amazing against Death Shadow. In... One of the games, I was able to take out a Delver and a Death Shadow. In the second game, I took out two Death Shadow with a single Swords to Plowshares. So one of the reasons why I picked the blue-white deck to play was because of its Shadow matchup, and I thought that I would see it a little bit more. Yeah, It definitely showed up at the tourney, but Legacy is such a wide format that even if a deck shows up, your expected number of t the expected number of times you are going to play it is still very small. And I ended up only playing against Black Blue Shadow once. Which which is in line with its representation, I think, right? Yes. Cool. Just about a little bit less than 10%. So I was feeling really excited. This person was really good. The deck that I was playing felt like it had a very strong matchup. And I was 3-1. and one. So round five, I play against Sean. And Sean is one of the main guys. He's friends with Adam Wallace and Topher. 
I really wasn't sure what was going on in game one. He led with the black artifact land. And originally I had put him on the Tezzeret sort of bridge deck. Yeah, that's what I would be thinking. But he was playing Bomberman, the Caleb Derwood oh, okay. mentor Ariok Salvagers deck. Yep. I just kept him off of the combo in game one. He actually had it, but I had the swords for the Salvagers and was able to close the game out. In game two, he locked me out with multiple chalices and was able to combo through my removal because I wasn't able to take care of his chalices in time. He actually had a turn one chalice on one, which stopped my spell pierce for the second chalice that he put on two on the Ooh, next turn. Yeah. And then really after that, I was just all done. In game three, I was able to completely lock him out of the game with back to basics. Oh. I think back to basics ended up being a four or five for one. It basically just turned everything that he played into a one shot and then it's gone forever. He ended the game with two tapped Caverner Souls, three tapped Artifact Lands, and maybe a tapped Ancient Tomb. Brutal. Even though I didn't have a super significant clock, he wasn't able to get anything going because his lands were locked out. So yeah. I think I won with a Snapcaster Mage. Nice. So, four and one. We're more than halfway through. I'm feeling good about the deck and where everything's going. And in round six, I get paired against Brandon Osborne. And I know Brandon. I've played against him a few times. It, actually, in the the Open that I won, I played against him in the Invitational. And you were watching the match where I actually was playing Standard and missed the trigger. Yeah, what's that card called? The Flip Guy? Hand, hand, hand yeah. Captain? Yeah, uh, something like that. Uh, militia uh, Captain or something. Hand, hand we were Militia Captain, and I really hadn't played Standard. Yeah. I had a huge board and was one blocker away from being able to survive through his end step Elder Deep Fiend and missed the trigger that would have won me the game and actually put me into day two of the Invitational. But because I didn't day two the Invitational, I got to play in the Open, which I just spiked. So I'll forgive myself for that. Yeah, I didn't realize that was Brandon you were playing against. Yep. He actually won the Classic that weekend. Oh, nice. Yep. But Brandon plays Storm almost exclusively. He is one of the admins on the Ant Facebook group. So it's Ant, not Tess? Yeah, Ant. Okay. If you join that Facebook group, he is the one that has put up all the sideboard guides and the deck building strategy and all of that. He's very well practiced with the deck. And when I was trying to learn Ant online, I talked to him quite a bit. I was really missing the fact that the list that I decided to run only had one Flusterstorm. So the sideboard, the sideboard games against Ant, I felt a little lacking. And that's definitely something that I would change going back. We'll talk about that once once I get done saying how everything went. Game one was kind of lethargic. I didn't have a Delver, but I had a couple of Spell Pierces and the Stoneforge Mystic, so I decided to keep. I waited until my turn three to play my Stoneforge because I wanted to be able to leave up Interaction. Yep. And 
it just wasn't a quick enough clock. He was able to sculpt, had eventually an end step cabal ritual into ad nauseum, and then untap cabal ritual into infernal tutor. So I had the option of countering the first one, but that tapped me out and ran me out of interaction. And then on his next turn, he had the deterministic win. Yep. In the sideboarded games, I was able to land an early Delver, but got clogged with the number of spell pierces I had, the number of land. So I believe that I was only able to make my second land drop and then things dried up. He continued to cantrip into his land drops until eventually I just didn't have the mana to interact with him winning. So I took my second loss to Ant. It wasn't something that I really expected to play against, even though I should have. Ant ended up being a very good choice for the weekend if you were well-practiced with it. I think that that's my next, my next focus is to put that in my range. I've played the deck before, but I've never felt super comfortable bringing it to a tournament. And I think that's going to be the next deck that I choose to just straight up learn. And I feel like there are a few strategies that I have played before, but I never felt super confident or comfortable with. Mainly the Storm Combo decks and Miracles. And I'm going to make the commitment to learn those decks online before the next Legacy Grand Prix. When is the next Legacy Grand Prix, now that you mention it? So, Channel Fireball hasn't put up next year's Grand Prix listing yet. Okay. I think that it's coming up soon, but nobody knows when it will actually be. But, so, it's next year, though. It's 2019? It will end up being 2019. Okay. That's that's if there is a North American Legacy Grand Prix. I'm sure that there will be, but the schedule isn't up yet. There is Eternal Weekend, I guess, at the end of October, right? Yeah, I'm not going to be able to make that. So my, my magic budget is going to be out for Eternal Weekend, unless I can convince my wife to let me go. Yep. So we'll we'll keep hope for that, but I don't, I don't think that I'm going to be there. I play it by ear. Yep. Okay, so I need to win my last two to day two. I'm still feeling confident because I hadn't missed a Legacy day two in any of the Legacy Grand Prix I played in, but obviously my back was against the wall and I needed to win the next two. So my round seven, I played against Grixis Delver, and game one was kind of a non-game. I was able to land a Stoneforge Mystic, protect it, and Batterskull just won me the game. Game two, I got Wastelanded out. I don't believe that I had a Fetchland in my opener, so I was just relying on the Tundras that I had, which got Wastelanded, and my opponent beat me down. And game three was the exact opposite. He got Wastelanded out. I was able to stick an early threat and ride it to victory. So two kind of non-games, the sideboarded games, and it went to the person who had land ouch yep one more to win i played against grixis control again and in game one was able to win off of a mulligan i was able to land an early stoneforge mystic get a batter skull protect it and not see a strix or a gurmag angler and that just sort of went through yep 
Game two, my opponent ended up landing two Bitter Blossoms early that I was unable to deal with in time. I think my opponent's curve was Bitter Blossom, Bitter Blossom, Liliana, Jace. And I was able to take care of the Liliana and the Jace with Council's Judgments. And I was trying to to take care of the Bitter Blossom tokens with a Batter Skull. But eventually he drew a Colgan's Command that I couldn't interact with. And I got run over by the Bitter Blossom tokens. Yeah, that'll happen. So game three was so weird. I thought that I was completely in the driver's seat because of how the beginning of the game went. After turn three, my opponent's board was an island. My board was Batterskull, Stoneforge Mystic, and Tundra. I had played a Stoneforge Mystic, protected it to get the Batterskull in play, and my land drops were Tundra, Wasteland, Wasteland. And my opponent's land drops were Island, Dual Land, Dual Land. So the end step that I flashed in my batter skull, I untapped, played my second Wasteland. Wasteland ended up down to one land and started to swing with both. So I was somewhere around 30 life and he was somewhere around 5 when I hadn't hit my second land drop. And he played Strix into Strix into Strix and stalled the game out and won from there. It was heartbreaking to go through the early turns of that game and then just not be able to draw either cantrips or extra lands to be able to interact with what he started to do. The true name nemesis that could have closed the game out for me just ended up coming a little bit too late, not because of it not being in my hand, but from me not being able to cast it. Yeah. And I had to end up tapping out to cast it. And this is way later in the game where he ended up recovering from the double wasteland and he had snap pyroblast. It's definitely a game that could have gone either way. True name is 100% the best way to get there. But after I had double wastelanded him and my board was what it was, I really thought that I was going to be able to, to, to close that game three out and make day two. Unfortunately lost my winning in was done for the tournament did not decide to play in the standard grand prix i was still kind of frustrated with my finish and how everything went but the deck was good i feel like it needs a better plan against grixis control and against miracles and most likely against storm as well i feel like we're short a little bit of interaction in the board and also some non-blue mid-range threats to slog through the control games. Yeah, absolutely. I would concur with exactly what you just said. I think that Spell Snare is a good start for all three of those matchups. It's good to have against Storm. It's good to have against Grixis to get the Strixes and the Snapcasters. And it's good against Miracles with like Counterbalance and uh, Search for Ascanta and other stuff that they're playing. So I, I think that... Uh, at least starting with one of those would be a good idea. And potentially, I think we saw like Joe Lissette. He was on more like a Miracles Blade version. But I think he actually had like two in his main and one in his side. I think I'm going to be testing two actually this week. But I would agree. Spell Snare would have been 
a very good choice for the deck, and I know that you brought it up with me before. I didn't want to dilute the number of spell pierces yep. that I had, which is the reason why I didn't run it. Looking back, I definitely should have either in one of the other spots in the deck, or I should have run a three pierce, one snare. Yeah, one of the reasons that I like having snare too, like even if it's a one of, it still hits chalice like a pierce does on turn one. And once you have one in your graveyard, you can snap it back. So you end up with like a better assortment of spells, right? As opposed to just multiple spell pierces in your graveyard, which is just effectively one target for the snapcaster mage. I don't know. How many snapcasters did you play though, too? I only played two. And three, yeah. three true names? And three true names, yep. My main deck was exactly the same as Owen's, except I had three true name, one Jace, where he had two and two. Oh, really? Yep. And our sideboards for the main event were identical. Wow. So how did Owen do? I didn't actually see. So Owen went undefeated on day one. Nice. I believe he ended day two in 10th place. I think that he lost a winning in to either... I'm not sure who he played against in the last round, but he was live up until the last round and ended up finishing 10th. Damn. Yeah, that's pretty good. So same deck? Yep, same deck. There were a few other people that I know that ran the deck. Josh Sissio, one of the other friends of Leaving a Legacy, ended up finishing the same as me. Losses almost in the exact same round. So, yeah, the, uh, the deck was solid, not perfect. There would be some changes that I made, or that I would make, like having another Flusterstorm, having some mid-range threats in the sideboard, and making sure that Spell Snare gets added to the main deck. But the deck was perfect to attack Shadow. Very solid against Grixis Delver and the other combo decks. I just ended up seeing a lot of Grixis Control, which is definitely not the best matchup for that deck. Yeah, agreed. So, did you uh, give any thought to playing in the P- PTQ? So, I knew that we were going to have to leave on Sunday, just because my wife wanted to make sure that we were home either late Sunday night, early Sunday morning, and I was driving the whole time. So, I made the decision to leave Saturday night, basically skip the standard Grand Prix, Slept all day on Saturday to try to catch up with sleep. Drove home Saturday night and then slept all day on Sunday again to to catch up for the sleep that I missed on Saturday. One of the things that I definitely need to do a better job of, if I plan on focusing and doing well in events, is not try things like that again. Yeah, man, we're we're not 25 anymore. That catches up to you. Oh, man. I drove 18 hours through two nights to play 10 rounds of Magic. <laughs> when you put it that way, it seems great. Yeah, I mean, I had a blast. It's Legacy. I love it. I got to see a ton of awesome people, too. I finally met James from the Humans of Magic podcast. James is great. Yep. Uh, that was the first time I had met him. I got to meet a few of the people from the Leaving a Legacy group that I hadn't before. My Dredge opponent, Felix, was awesome. 
I got to hang out with my buddy Warren, who used to play Legacy up in Massachusetts, but now is in the D.C. area. We got to catch up with him and go out to the bar. And all of the people who I usually travel with were there, and between rounds and dinner on Friday night, got to hang out with as well. So I want to say thank you to Marcus Roth, Mike Rapp, JT DeMeo, and a few of the other people who came over and did a ton of testing that I got to hang out with while I was down there. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So is there anything else with the tournament you want to talk about? Or No, just it 100% was the most frustrated that I have been in a very long time playing Magic after the tournament was over. But I understood that, one, I wasn't totally focused. Two, I knew that I wasn't locked in on my sideboard plans and strategies for a few matchups. The two that I was really not feeling confident with were Grixis Control and Miracles, which ended up being very popular choices for the tournament. So I can't be mad that I didn't day two. I just needed to make sure that I was more more prepared against those two decks. Yeah. It's my own fault for, for bringing what I brought and not being ready for it. So how did it look to you? Did it look like a small Grand Prix? Because I think in the player count, it was like half the size of Louisville. It was so small. Really? Even after Providence, it felt small? It was the same size as Providence. Jeez. The Both the Legacy and Standard Grand Prix in Richmond were around 800 people. I think Legacy was slightly over 800. Standard was was slightly smaller. It was pretty much the same size as Grand Prix Providence, which is crazy. Dude, that's crazy. The turnout was just non-existent. And I thought for a summertime Legacy Grand Prix on the East Coast that we would be looking at above 1,500, probably approaching 2,000 people for Legacy. But it just didn't happen. And maybe people are starting to get turned off by $70 Grand Prix entries with no extras and just voting with their pocketbooks and not signing up to play in these tournaments. Is that, that's, I guess, the theory that you hear kicked around the most right now when people are talking about low attendance is that it's like some sort of rejection of this model? I don't know because personally I don't feel that whether it's $50 and you get a play mat, which is basically just worth nothing to me or $70 or whatever. I've never really cared because you're spending hundreds of dollars in travel and hotels and stuff. It's like insignificant, but I guess maybe that does calculate into like your locals showing up. I'm not sure either how far Richmond is from like major cities. I've never been to Richmond. So like how far is it from Baltimore? How far from DC from Charlotte? You know, like how those metros do in Legacy in general. But I feel like if you're going to have a Legacy Grand Prix outside of like Boston or Seattle or or maybe like, you know, greater Philadelphia, possibly Ohio, if you're going to have it outside of those regions, I don't know, man. I guess maybe this is what we should expect for attendance, which is kind of scary. This is the thing. When you said the $70 doesn't really matter compared to how much you're spending for travel and your other expenses, 
you got to realize that we're older. Yeah. And there are lots of magic players that don't do it the way that we do it. They cram six people in a car. They get 10 people per Airbnb and they're all sleeping on the floor. And they're broke basically trying to make ends meet getting to these events by sharing the cost with lots of other people. We have jobs that we can afford to make sure that we can do this. And maybe we're just seeing a rejection of paying that amount of money for very little from the typical younger broke magic grinder. I have no idea if that's right, but you and I aren't really the majority of the makeup of Grand Prix. So from your sampling, so you've played at Providence a week or two ago and you played in Richmond. Would you say that that sort of player has been the the sort of player that's been missing? Like that, you know, 20-year-old grinder and you've seen a lot more older people? In Providence, I saw sort of a dichotomy between younger people and older people. Mm. I think I played against a, like, young teens player and a few people that were my age. In Richmond, obviously Legacy is a little bit older of a demographic, but I felt like I played against people that were mostly in their 30s. Yeah. So that sort of younger but not teenage demographic was definitely missing from my experience. But again, that's a small sample of what the tournament was made up from. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, man. It, it's just like, now this is two East Coast GPs in a row in terms of standard, I guess, that have been like, you know, 700 players or whatever. I hope that once rotation comes, that this is, doesn't become like the norm, that this is just like a stale standard format. Maybe they do adjust the model, bring the cost down a little, see if that helps. Yeah, I think the next Grand Prix that my group is considering traveling to is Grand Prix Montreal, the first weekend of October, and it's the new return to Ravnica block. Limited, right? Yeah. I was actually going to go to that, by the way. Yeah, I I don't know if my wife is going to let me travel to go do that. I'm going to try to push it. But I think that the next time that I'm penciled in to play is the team open in Philly the weekend after that. So I okay. don't think I'm going to be able to go to Montreal because I'll be playing in the team event. Gotcha. Which actually, for those of you listening to the podcast, my upstairs neighbor, Jeremy, is looking for two other people to team with for that open. So if you want to play at the Star City in Philly which is 100% at the best magic venue ever, period, let me know. Cool, man. Did you get a chance to watch coverage at all? Not as much as I would have liked, honestly. I had a very busy weekend. We have like a yearly fancy football draft with like one group of friends, and we have like a, a golf tournament invitational thing that we schedule for the same weekend every year. So I was sort of around New England. I was in Connecticut and Rhode Island. I was driving a lot. And while I was driving, I would have the audio on. So I listened to, I would say, probably the better part of six matches over the two days. I really enjoyed the style of coverage, being able to hear like Reed and his opponents talking. I thought that was really cool, honestly. It felt like, you know, regular table chatter. 
And if you're going to have commentators who aren't familiar with Legacy, I would much rather just be hearing the players talking. Even if, you know, sometimes it's just saying, yeah, okay, yeah, that resolves, you know. I could follow it really well, you know, not being able to look because I was driving, just listening. I felt like I always knew what was going on. And, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I did actually watch uh, the last round when Reed was playing against Miracles. It was unfortunately, it, it just came to a draw. Not anybody's fault or anything. It just, you know, how it worked out, unfortunately. But I thought the coverage was great. Yeah, I only got to watch a little bit of day one. When I got home on Sunday, I know that I wanted to check some of the coverage out so I'd be able to talk about it. And I thought that the new style of coverage was wonderful. And I hope that they do it again, especially if they can get people as high of a quality as Reducus. Well, that's the challenge, right? I feel, I don't know, what, what players would you say you can do that with? I think that there's probably under 10. Seems reasonable. But them taking a chance and trying to make that happen, when people really weren't on board with it when it was announced i'm glad to see wizards taking risks and succeeding yeah people just like to bitch about stuff like i didn't see any legitimate critiques i felt coming in i guess you know that you're going to be seeing a lot of one deck is sort of the issue but like i felt like as long as it was a fair deck it was going to be okay yep brainstorm brainstorm is still the core of the format there were what 85% of the X and 3 decks are better were Brainstorm decks. There were two Eldrazi and one lands that were not based around Brainstorm. Oh, I didn't realize they published all the X and 3s are better? They only published the top 16. Oh, okay. But from coverage earlier, you knew what the other gotcha. 36 pointer decks were. Yep. So the X and 3s went down to 20th, and you you could figure out exactly what was what. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. It The tournament really, really just sort of showed cycle that Legacy had been going through from the Pro Tour to the decks that really preyed on the decks from the Pro Tour. The biggest representation of the top performing decks were Grixis Control and Miracles slash Blue-White Stoneblade. And those really were set to attack a high percentage of Shadow and Death and Taxes players. And Eldrazi kind of showed up too, right? I mean, there was one in the top eight, and then I think you said there was one at X and three? Yeah, that was 100% the deck that if I wasn't super focused was going to play and actually looking back on it maybe it was just the right call to play walking ballista being able to clear through baleful strixes makes the grixis control matchup not as scary yeah and if miracles is going to be a big player in the metagame moving forward historically eldrazi has been very strong against miracles now i'm not sure if that is going to continue Back to Basics obviously does a tremendous job punishing Eldrazi, but maybe that matchup is still good enough 
given that you have Chalice and can lock out their cantrips. Yeah, I think it's still probably a pretty good matchup. Not you know, not not a great matchup, but pretty good. Yeah, if you are able to have a positive Delver combo and control matchup, I guess why not play Eldrazi? I'm not really sure what the decks are that just crush Eldrazi. I re- I really I don't know. I don't know enough about the deck, but I know that it is extremely powerful and worth checking out. I would imagine that, like, the... I guess out of the most popular decks, this isn't really one of them. I was going to say the mono-red deck probably just crushes it. I would say the Grixis Control deck has a probably a pretty good matchup, but like you said, Walking Ballista helps that out a lot. Yeah, I'm not sure either, and I'm, I'm actually not going to be playing it, so you'll have to tell me. I actually decided this weekend too that I'm gonna be playing uh I'm gonna play an ant online in the next couple of weeks, independently of you. But just because it seems like it's doing really well right now. And a talk we had last week was about how you'd be comfortable playing the deck online, but not necessarily in paper. And I felt the same way, so I wanna get some reps in because I, I wanna add that to my repertoire as well. Right now we're really kind of in a lull with the competitive legacy events like there's a team open coming up in a little bit more than a month and then whatever grand prix get announced for next year eternal weekend and eternal weekend which i guess isn't on my radar because i don't think that i'm actually going to be able to go right but i want to be able to sort of expand the decks that i am comfortable playing to include those ones that i mentioned earlier so i'm going to jam a bunch of ant and miracles and potentially Eldrazi online to get ready for whatever event is coming up. Yeah, definitely. And I, I feel you on that. So was the vendor situation at Richmond the same as Providence? So it was way better. Oh, okay. Now, obviously, it was a Legacy Grand Prix. And the vendors at Providence had all of the Legacy cards. But the disenchants that I misplaced from the time that I left my home to going to the event... I was able to find at a vendor. <laughs> I found extra copies of Back to Basics and even Hydroblast that I also didn't remember to pack. So the vendors were great. The artists were outstanding. The event ran really well. Richmond is a wonderful city. The food options were great. And even though it was brutally hot, my father-in-law's house had air conditioning, so I was I was fine. Oh, thank God. Yeah. I saw somebody posted, like, a food map in one of the groups, and uh, it looked like there were, like, 40 food options within a couple blocks of the venue, and a lot of them looked pretty good. Yeah, I, I had never been to Richmond, but my experience was super positive outside of the actual Grand Prix, and I would highly recommend going to a Grand Prix there in the future. The cities that I've loved traveling to the most for Grand Prix have actually been Columbus and Richmond. I think those were the two. Really? Is that high? Yeah. Wow. Now, Columbus, the short north area, the food options there were amazing. Oh, I love Columbus. Yeah, I'm surprised Richmond was up there. Yeah, Richmond, Richmond was great. I think I would have had a much better time if I had actually made it like a full magic trip, not a half- family half magic 
trip. Dude, you better I hope mean, your wife doesn't listen to this podcast. I mean, like I told her, I told her this, <laughs> that it would have been different if I was hanging out with my friends in an Airbnb and being a degenerate magic player rather than needing to take care of family stuff and make sure that my son is fine. It's splitting splitting my focus onto the responsibilities of being a dad and playing magic were definitely challenging. But there were some things that I could have done to minimize the distractions and make sure that I played better that I just didn't do. And that's my fault completely. Yeah, that makes sense. I can see how that could be challenging. <sighs> I'm still kind of pissed I didn't make day two. Yeah, that's rough, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> it it, it happened to a lot of people, though, for what it's worth. And with like this lower count of players, I feel like that's going to make just competition harder because I feel like the most enfranchised players are still showing up and the pros are still showing up. And I feel like what we've lost, this is just from my random sampling of Providence and from sort of looking at the standings from uh, Richmond, I feel like we've lost a lot of the, like, I don't want to say scrubs or something, you know, but like the less invested players, maybe the dipping their toe in legacy players. It seems like we've had a lot of a lot of pros per average player at these tournaments. Well, I think I agree with you. I mean, when a Grand Prix used to be $40, you can, as a player who isn't really competitive that doesn't expect to win prizes, you can write that $40 off and say, I'm going to get to play Magic. This is going to be great. The Grand Prix is coming to my town and I'm going to show up. Exactly. Or I'm, I'm going to drive two hours and I'm going to play. But as soon as you start to double those costs, it really sort of drives a lot of people out from even wanting to play. And it's not going to drive out the pros. It's not going to drive out the grinders. It's not going to drive out the people who are skilled in that format. It's going to drive out sort of the people that are at the bottom. And that definitely makes tournaments harder. But... The fact that it was such a small Grand Prix makes making day two so much more valuable that losing that round eight just stung that much more. Yeah, I believe you. And I feel like you had, I don't want to say more of a winner's metagame deck because you highlighted the problem you had with the Grixis Control matchup and the Miracles matchup. But, you know, not exactly like an open field deck, more like a, a meta deck. So I feel like I feel like you would have fared reasonably well in day two, is what I'm trying to say. I would have expected that, but again, my day one didn't fare so well. So who who would have known what would have happened? But I just would have liked to give myself the shot too. So overall, between uh between day one and the grinder that you played, you were six and three in matches with the deck. You said, yeah. So would you recommend it going forward? So I would recommend it given a few things i would not recommend it if grixis control and miracles are going to be sort of at the top i feel like if delver and combo start to make a resurgence or if eldrazi pushes itself higher i feel like the dex eldrazi matchup is amazing so if people start to attack the control decks with Eldrazi, I feel like this is in a really good spot. But I don't think that there's any silver bullet 
in Legacy that is going to be the deck that takes out everything else. I feel like we are 100% in a spot that you are going to have some subpar matchups. You are going to have some good matchups, but there's no way of finding a deck that is just favored against the field. Right, yeah, absolutely. The decks that are going to do well are just the ones that show up and get the pairings they need to, and in addition are the decks that have the better matchups against the majority of the field that shows up. The majority of the field that showed up was Black Blue Shadow, Death and Taxes, right? I think that there wasn't a metagame breakdown that came out for day one, but as I was walking around, I saw a lot of people playing Death and Taxes. I saw a lot of people playing Back Through Shadow. And the control decks really are sort of the way to fight that, whether it be the white-blue in any form or Baleful Strix in any form. And that's really what sort of rose to the top. Now, Noah Walker top-aided with Black-Blue Shadow, but... That's no Yeah. So you can you can take take that data point sort of out of the picture because he's so good. And really what rose up in day two were the decks that beat the most popular decks. I think that's just what we're gonna see with Legacy going forward. Yeah, I agree. And we were kinda of talking about what decks beat Eldrazi before. And we talked about, or we didn't talk about lands, actually. And it seemed to me, I think Reed had uh, two matches against lands in a row in day two. It seemed like the deck was doing reasonably well. I didn't see how many of them were in the top 16, but I believe one of them top aided. So I think that lands might be uh, might be the, the deck that swoops in to prey on this. What do you think? Well, so here's the thing, right? Lands right now could be the deck that swoops in to do what you're saying but then combo can swoop back in yeah. and yeah of course be that deck again so i feel like legacy is going to be in this sort of holding cycle that we are going to cycle through what decks are being held down and what decks are rising up so in this tournament, combo was almost non-existent because Black Blue Shadow just sort of pushed it out. And Ant was the one shining beacon for combo when you look at the people who finished well in the tournament. And when I was talking to Brandon, he actually said that he was running about 70% versus Black Blue Shadow online. And he said that since Black Blue Shadow was one very 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 aggressively lowering their life total and two while they did have interaction it was still very similar to just standard delver decks where your discard is able to take out the key pieces and you can combo through yeah ant was the one combo deck that wasn't held down by shadow we didn't see any reanimator we didn't see any sneak and show we didn't see any of the other combo decks because shadow kept it down and then other decks kept down shadow so if we see lands swoop in and be the deck that attacks this meta, then in the next cycle, we're going to see combo come back. Yeah. And then Delver come back, and then the control decks come back. And 
I think that we are really in a spot where there isn't one top deck. You just need to really make your deck pilot dependent so you can find edges in all of the matchups and then the better players will, will do well. And if we look at this top eight, if we look at the top 16 or 32 or 64, Legacy is really the format where the more skilled pilots are going to rise to the top. Yeah, I like that part about it for sure. It, there is like a scary sort of modern-esque vision that I get when you talk about this deck rises up and then the next week this deck would beat it. You know, that sort of constantly just rotating metagame, not, not necessarily evolving, but just like this rock, scissor, paper, you know, going to level two to play this deck that is going to beat the deck that won the last open, right? I don't think we're ever going to see Legacy turn into a modern-esque rock, paper, scissors because we have Brainstorm. Yeah. And if you're playing a Brainstorm deck, even in that sort of rock, paper, scissors, the percentages are much closer to 50 when you can sculpt your deck to find your sideboard cards with brainstorm yeah. it makes it so much better and not just that but it, it sort of helps smooth the variance for the better players right yes so if you're more familiar with your deck or just a better player in general you can still find edges that way whereas it's not always available in modern when it's just like their seven beats your seven no matter how poorly or well you might play it you're absolutely right so yeah, I, I feel good about it. Legacy kinda is what we expected it to be when Deathrite got banned, right? Like now that it it's it's more polarized. You don't have, you know, decks that can beat every deck. We we've sort of seen a metagame develop with like ten to fifteen decks now that are all legitimate choices. So yeah, I guess it's kinda cool. Yeah, I think that Legacy is really waiting for something brand new. Death Shadow was new, but not really. We saw it before, as far back as the Legacy Grand Prix Vegas. I think that right now, Legacy is kind of in a holding pattern with the number of decks that you have already seen, and it's going to take some new printings to shake, to shake up where things are right now, and that's fine. Every deck is playable, and you just need to make sure that you have your sideboard plans and strategies laid out for all of the matchups you can face, and you're going to be fine. It is kind of crazy. I remember when Gavin was going to be on Leaving a Legacy and somebody posted a question about like uh, what cards that were printed in the last year or two did you want him to talk about? And we were like, Oh, well, death rate had been banned, right? So it wasn't death rate. But uh, people were like, oh, you know, Abrupt Decay or Colagon's Command. And they're like, dude, that was three or four years ago at this point, you know? That and, was more than that. Return yeah. to Ravnica was, well, what, no. 2013? Yeah. That's that's five, almost six years ago. But Colagon's Command, I think, was three. Okay, yeah. And like, oh, the Eldrazi that were in Oath of the Gatewatch. I guess that's like two and a half years ago now at this point. Going on three this winter. Yeah, sounds right. So it's like, what's really been printed since then, right? 
Not much. Not much. It, it really doesn't seem like much. And it seems like we've kind of reverted back to like the 2012-ish metagame minus Probe plus Eldrazi. That definitely sounds about right. I mean, there's Liliana of the Last Hope. Yeah. Which definitely changes some things. It's an outstanding card. And there's but... there's Strix and True Name and Gurmag Angler. So I guess, yeah, it, it's a little different than that, but... But I believe that Strix and True Name were there in 2012. They just got there, I think, yeah. Yeah, I think those were those were new printings, either in 2012 or 2013, but it's it's around the same time. But basically like a pre-Death Rite metagame, right? Yes. Yeah, it, it's pretty crazy, man. I think that... Uh, I would definitely like to see it shaken up a little. I think everybody would, but we'll see what happens. The spoiler season is set to take off for... Return to return to Ravnica for the next three sets. Dude, did you sell your Shocklands in Richmond? <laughs> no, I mean, like, it doesn't matter. It's so fucking stupid. Go to a vendor booth, even before they were spoiled. You get, like, fours and sixes on Fetchland, or Shocklands. Like, it's not... You can sell a 40 set of Shocklands, and it's not even a fucking dual land. Yeah, it's it's more it's effort the to biggest sell waste them of time than you, you get out of it and exactly. honestly like you have the cards which means you don't need to get them from the new set just keep them and play them and you'll be fine but one thing that i'm really excited about did you see the masterpiece boxes they're going to be selling no okay Ooh. so hasbro and wizards are doing a limited release for a sealed box of cards that has 16 packs and eight quote-unquote masterpiece packs where you are guaranteed to get a playset of the masterpiece planeswalkers they announced so full art no border teferi liliana of the last hope you can see the planeswalkers that they are releasing in that eight set cycle but the boxes are 249 dollars and they're going to be a limited release from the Hasbro website only. So think San Diego Comic-Con exclusivity selling boxes for $250. And this is something you're happy about? Well, so this is the thing, right? Wizards is figuring out that there are a bunch of people who are huge degenerates that really don't care how much cards cost and... The fact that Wizards is recognizing that these people is a demographic that they can market directly to is great. The fact that there is finally a product that those people can go to that is coming from Wizards, in my opinion, is great. Okay, I can see that angle. To me, it feels like... Did you ever take that survey that they put out like when a new set comes out? I have taken it a few times to try to make my thoughts and feelings about legacy known <laughs> really it doesn't matter like people are gonna fill out that survey and say what they really want out of the game and legacy is lucky to get a card or two out of every set we're never gonna see wizards market directly towards legacy because it's not how they make money they make money from standard rotations from selling limited and they make money by selling the exclusive product like masterpieces, 
the Masterpiece sets sold so much more than all of the other sets, but it drove the secondary market prices of the standard cards almost down to zero. So they realized, man, we, we can't do this. It's killing the secondary market for our standard cards, which our network needs to have propped up. So they figured out how to integrate masterpieces without crushing the secondary market value of standard, which is wonderful. So people who want these masterpiece planeswalkers can get them. You just need to pay three times as much as a box to buy them, which in my opinion is wonderful. Wizards is going to do better. Standard prices aren't going to crash. People will still want to play standard. And I think that Wizards sort of hit it out of the park with the marketing of this idea. Okay, so where I was going was when you take the survey, they're like, how do you usually buy cards? Like singles from stores, singles online, etc. How would you feel about buying singles directly? Has been a question that I've seen recently. And it feels like that's kind of what they're doing now, right? Getting into selling singles. And I don't know, are, are these standard legal planeswalkers? Like, I think you mentioned two that were. So that's what feels kind of weird about this. Well, most of them are. I know that there was the the original Elspeth is included in it. Okay. And there are a few other non-standard ones. But really, I think that Wizards is, is trying to maximize their revenue to that player that is willing to spend that amount of money on cards. Yeah. And if you're willing to spend that amount of money on those cards, Wizards wants more of that piece directly. Yeah, that's what's kind of weird to me. Well, how is that weird? Because they're not going through game stores. But they don't make any extra money when they go through game stores, right? No, but it's what like the grassroots movement of the game, right? Like having a, a local game store to go play at, keeping those businesses afloat. That has value to them. Well, it has had value to them, but they've recently shown less and less yep. respect for the local game store. You can go get all your magic cards at Target and Walmart, right? You can get... You need to go to local game stores less and less unless that's really where you want to play and we're lucky we have a few really good local game stores in our area but let's be honest most local game stores are trash yeah and i think wizards is really trying to make sure that they take the oversaturation of lgs's that there is there are so many that are so bad and maybe they're trying to make it a little bit harder for the bad ones to stay in business. Yeah, I don't know, man. I I see where you're going with that. Like, I see where you're coming from. But it, it doesn't seem likely to me that they're looking to have less game stores. That doesn't seem like, like something that I can justify when, when I think about it that way, right? Like, in the most simple of terms, like, less game stores is a good thing for the game. I, I feel like... Cons consolidation isn't the worst thing they know that they're dealing with better businesses once once things are consolidated yeah. and really i feel like wizards just really wants to make a shift 
to weigh more online. Yeah. Because if you think of the profit margin versus a digital product compared to a physical product, that's where they want to be. And if you look at all of the money that they are spending in product development, it's all in the online stuff. Yeah, I would agree with that. I thought that that's where you were going to go is that they don't really care about the game stories because they're moving online, which I, I could definitely see that being the case. Well, they care less about game stores because their focus is going to be online. But in reality, local game stores have been supported by Wizards of the Coast for a very long time. And a lot of businesses are just propped up by the Wizards product. And now Wizards is starting to see that they can take a larger share of the profits from all of that and it won't affect their product yeah i don't know man i mean we're seeing 700 person grand prix so i'm not sure that it's not affecting the product that much the changes that they've made recently but just sort of another point are these things foil i can't tell from this picture i have no idea i only saw the pictures from the powerpoints at the pax party yeah i think that's what i'm looking at right now i believe they're foil but i could be wrong do you want these I do not want the whole thing. I'm not going to spend $250 to buy a box of them. I think that I would be interested in the Liliana of the Last Hopes and the Teferis. Okay. As singles, not as the actual product. In all honesty, I'm probably just going to buy the regular versions of those cards if I need them. But it's nice to be able to have those cards in the market. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I never objected to the masterpieces, but I never wanted them either. And I kind of feel the same way about this. Like, the cards look fine to me, but they're not going to be something that I play with or that I ever buy. But I guess, you know, if the only crime is letting suckers keep their money, right? That is something that Wizards of the Coast does <laughs> a very good job of making sure never happens. Exactly. Coming from somebody that just... Spent $70 on a Grand Prix. <laughs> Dude, how long is Channel Fireball's contract? I've heard conflicting information about this. I heard that it was for a year, but I could be wrong. I believe that they also have the contract for this coming year, like it was re okay. redone. But I have no no idea, honestly. Right, and whether there's outs to it. I don't, I bet nobody does, honestly. Nobody really knows. Maybe the vendors, like the highest level vendors now. But. Yeah, I miss I miss a lot of different vendors being able to run Grand Prix. Me too, man. Uh, that's that's what I'm thinking there were about some, right now. There were some TOs that did a terrible, terrible job running Grand Prix, which is sort of what led us to this situation. Yeah. But having a Star City and a Channel Fireball and a TJs and a Pastimes cascade cascade it just made made every grand prix feel a little bit different and it felt like the tos would try new things to innovate a little bit to yeah. make their grand prix stand out and i don't see that happening anymore yeah for sure it's it's really just this cookie cutter thing did you get to play in any of the format championships while you're down there by the way no, I played in the Grinder and Legacy only. I know there are a bunch of Leaving a Legacy people that played in the Brawl Championship. Gavin brought down a ton of decks and lent them out. Really? And a lot of people I know had a great time. Jeez. But yeah, I um, 
I didn't get to play in any of the other ones. Dude, we're having old school brawl on Wednesday night, actually. My commander is uh, Zyra Arian. That's the Jund insect lady? Yeah, it's it costs Jund, like red, black, green. And you can pay red, black, green, and Tapper to draw a card. So it's like a JM Day Tom that you can just cast on turn three all the time. Sounds great. It does seem great, right? It seems like it should be everybody's commander, but I don't know. We'll see how it goes, I guess. I'm, I'm actually pretty stoked about it. Well, have fun. Yeah, man. So is there anything else that you wanted to cover from this tournament? No, I mean, I think that next week we're going to be having our first guest on the podcast, and we can talk more about the day two results and the way that the play-in rounds went and the top eight bracket and the sort of overall idea about what's going to come out of this whole tournament but i really just wanted to talk about how my tournament went and what i thought about the blue white deck because there was a little bit more focus put on it when owen wrote his article and i was actually reading reddit and people said in response to owen's article that if you want to hear a little bit more about the deck, the dead format did a cast about it last week. Oh, and nice. I was like, Ooh, That's there we sweet. go. People shouting out our cast on Reddit. Nice. Yeah. Dude, I haven't fucked with Reddit in a long time. I got to get back on there. Maybe. I mean, maybe you don't have to, but I was excited to see our name there. But there's all this shit like this masterpiece thing. I, I had no knowledge of this at all. So maybe Facebook isn't good for everything. I don't know baby pictures and keeping in touch with your family yeah don't don't join magic facebook groups are you back out no i'm not back out i'm back in (laughs) i hate it i absolutely hate it people tag me in things they come up as notifications i don't want to read it stay away have you watched ozark i have not no not even do you have netflix i have netflix but i have a baby yeah Oh, I and, and school Sesame Street too. and Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood <laughs> and Wild Kratz. Wild Kratz is a big favorite what? in my household. Wild Kratz? Wild Kratz. It's an animated wildlife cartoon <laughs> where the two main characters get suits and they can turn into different animals. Listen, I could do a 20-minute spiel on Wild Kratz. Just, I'm not going to, but I could... But that's that's one of my kids' favorite shows. And what'd you say, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. It's the animated version of the tiger from Mr. Rogers. So yeah. basically, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood Generation 2. Gotcha. Yep. And Sesame Street got picked up by HBO, and it's baller. I can't believe I just called Sesame Street baller, but it's baller. It's on HBO now? It is produced by HBO. What the fuck? It is all done by HBO. Oh, I I had no idea any of this was happening. Yep. Yes, it is. Jesus. All right, man. So, yeah, maybe you don't have time to watch Ozark. Season two just dropped, and it was really good. That's with Jason Bateman, right? Yeah, he's the director, too, actually. Okay. Okay. It's a little convoluted, and it takes... You definitely have to pay attention to it. You know, it's not like you can casually watch it. But uh, I would give it pretty good, pretty strong recommendation. It's not The Wire, but... Okay. Decent. 
There you go, listeners. Check out Ozark, <laughs> Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, and New Sesame Street. All right, man. We good? We're good. I just wanted to say, just thank a few more people that I'm sure that I forgot to say in the beginning. My neighbor, Jeremy Turner, I wanted to thank you. I wanted to thank my friend, Bera, and all of the people who I actually got to see at the event. I had a great time hanging out with people and actually hearing a little bit about the cast. I had some people who I'm part, who I'm in some Facebook group chats with. I got to talk to Min and Natchet and a few other people. Really, that's the best part about playing Magic is going to events and seeing people that you don't get to see all the time and just play some cards. Yeah, for sure. That's great. All right. Where can people get in touch with you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ian18125. You can find me on Twitter at TSmileyMTG, the cast at DeadFormatCast. And you can email us at DeadFormatCast at gmail.com. And if you like the cast, please subscribe on iTunes, the Google Play Store, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. We really appreciate it, and we look forward to improving in the future.